on, everybody. Welcome to another edition Enchanting Insights with Lala. What's going on, everybody? Uh, everybody's sliding in. So what you got going on, Lala? How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm very excited. We have more guests, and it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, we got one heck of a lineup tonight. Hello, Nicole, Catherine, Gary. Boy, does she got something special. So uh, should we just go ahead and start bringing everybody in and introducing them? Yeah. Yeah, so let's welcome everybody. We got Vinny. Welcome to the stage there, Vinny. We got What's Travis, going on? And we got Dr. Allen. Welcome, welcome. How is everybody doing? I'm live from Jerusalem, as you can see in my fake background. <laughs> you got a shadow person right on your tail. Don't turn around, doctor. Hey, that's uh, all right. You know wall. what? I, I got holy water oh, right there. I know so that I, one. I, I, got, so I got you covered. Of all of the fake backgrounds, you chose Jerusalem. I mean, <laughs> WTF. WTF. Well, I actually took the picture that's in the background, but it was like four years ago. So. Oh, wow. Wow. See, now that's nice. That's oh, nice. fine. You had to go and ruin my joke by making it relevant. The fact that you actually were there and took the picture. Oh, well, I am there, he said, <laughs> with a wink in his eye. Exactly. <laughs> I want the ha I want the, the mirrored motorcycle helmet. That's what I want. <laughs> Me too. I do. Do you guys no. want to go around and introduce yourselves and um, anything you would like to talk about promote yeah absolutely whoever uh <laughs> nobody, nobody jump at once now that's a motorcycle helmet it looks like a tinfoil hat which is preventing the aliens from beaming to him how really ridiculous it looks but that's not important right now what's important <laughs> is i have a new book out very oh, nice. that's good. Congratulations. What Thank is it? you. The name of the book, I thought you'd never ask, is <laughs> Secrets of the Real Black Lodge Revealed. It is the third and last of the Secret Cipher, the Euphonaut Trilogy. So here it is. Finally, after a very, very long struggle between my publishers and me to, to get it out with lots of interference from the dark powers yeah isn't that the truth congratulations well, I mean, yeah thank you thank you uh, i'll know about that in about a month to see how well it's doing first week it was number one on amazon uh for you know its genre uh but it takes time to find out you know how well something is doing i hope this one does very well not just because uh, my publisher is pretty generous about royalties, but also it really is a subject that has not been discussed since World War One, And I don't even know why, but fact is that uh, it needs to be discussed because I think we're living in an increasingly dark time. But mm -hmm. sources are relatively, uh, how shall I put it? anonymous or choose to be anonymous mm -hmm. and that being the case i think it's important to uh refer back to that penultimate evil authority which is the the black lodge mm -hmm. 
Yeah, interesting. Can you tell people a little bit about that? They they might not know. Oh, I would I would say the vast majority of people who read the book have no previous background on the Black Lodge. I would urge people, and not for the obvious reasons, to uh, it being the third in a trilogy to read. Uh, well, you can get the other two books under one cover in the Complete Secret Cipher, the Euphonauts, available wherever better books are sold, uh, as a prelude to reading this. But basically, I was going to do the third book about the secret chiefs of the Third Order, which is something in magical circles uh, that's very important. Those are uh, the, the theosophists sometimes refer to them as the ascended masters or the great white brotherhood, which is a term I think that has connotations that I don't like, so I don't use it anymore, uh, mm -hmm. except, you know, as illustrative. But uh, uh, it basically refers to those humans who have ascended to a non-corporeal state and have chosen to help all sentient beings attain. Yeah, in uh, Buddhist thought, that is called uh, a bodhisattva, someone who has taken the oath to not enter nirvana, as is difficult to describe, um, until all sentient beings have reached that point, which may be millions of years. Um, that doesn't just include this planet or this dimension, but uh, all planets and all the opposite of that are those who have uh, attained a very high degree of uh, psychic, paranormal competence so that they also uh, can be incorporeal, but started out as humans. And they choose instead not to attain, but to keep their own uh, exalted position to keep the rest of us uh, in our place, so to speak. And that is the Black Lodge, and that's what the book is about. Very interesting. Thank you. Yeah, very interesting. All right, oh, next up. down has been a real challenge because you really need to read book and probably read some of the earlier literature on the subject. But again, there's a gap from World War I until this book came out where uh, a lot of people who should know better simply choose not to discuss the Black Lodge for whatever. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. All right, sir, your turn. Fire away. Oh great! You put me on camera. And just, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a dancing monkey. I can't. <laughs> no. It's a really nice piano. Thank you. And if that were real, I would go back and. No, I wouldn't because I can't play it anyway. So, it's a anyway. grand piano, and I assume it, it, that, that you a, have a background, it, it unlike a, me, who is coming live. Yes, I. I, I chose. I chose not to choose one of the, in the most political hotspots in the, in the world for my backdrop. But, yeah. Wait, Jerusalem is a hotspot in the world? 
Maybe not so much today. Maybe right behind me, the Temple Mount might be a hot spot in Jerusalem. And it could be. Uh, maybe I shouldn't go up there on account of I'm Jewish and that's not allowed. But that's another story. Oh, Lordy. Different story, different day. No. no. <laughs> I'll be glad. Yeah. No, I, I, see, I'm broadcasting from an undisclosed location in Tennessee. There are uh-huh. no undisclosed locations in Tennessee, yeah. except in East Tennessee. I am in East which, Tennessee. I'm in, uh-huh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in East Tennessee. You I'm don't in, say it's undisclosed to a psychic <laughs> friend, as I used to be. <laughs> what Five do you, years. What do you, what do you know about East Tennessee? I have friends uh, from there. Nobody has friends from East Tennessee. <laughs> Even sure I do. don't have friends. They moved to Atlanta like any other rational human but they they come from uh east tennessee which is a very independent place in fact it it's it often is. pointed out during the civil war it seceded from the confederacy for the most part and uh, well, battled uh on the union side throughout the war so, this area east tennessee uh southwest virginia which is where i'm from um western virginia or west virginia southwestern virginia east tennessee was all supposed to be its own state, the state of Franklin. Uh, and it, it the, the area, the region that I'm from, I, sh- I share more in common with like four other states than I do the state that I'm part of. It's, it's a regional kind of, uh, a kind of thing. So Travis Short, good to be on the show. First time guest, first time caller, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I appreciate Lala uh, inviting me uh, on the show. I am, uh, unlike uh, some of the other guests, I'm I'm more of what you would call a, uh, I'm not even a paranormal investigator. I'm more of a paranormal researcher. I enjoy the history researching. Uh, I worked on the first feature length documentary about the Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant, West Virginia in 66 and 67. Uh, That's actually my claim to fame. it, it cracks me up. My daughter, uh, who is 19, when she was 16, the only thing she wanted to do for her 16th birthday was go back to Point Pleasant. To the Mothman Festival. No, she just wanted to. Her birthday is in July. She wanted me to take her and her friends and just take them around and show them the area. I used to present at the festival uh, from 2000, well, from 2005 to 2009. I was a, a, a regular presenter. I haven't been back to the festival since 2009. was going to try to get back. Actually, I even told Lala, I was hoping that I was going to get to go this past weekend and I would be able to have some interesting stories. But unfortunately, I'm in graduate school at East Tennessee State University and coursework superseded going to the the Mothman Festival. So I had to stick around and do some homework. So Interesting. The the closest friend I have, another ex-OTO person, uh, went to East Tennessee. It's, you know, I, um, I started a master's several years ago in, in divinity with an emphasis in theology. Um, did not finish it. Uh, this one I started last year. I plan on actually finishing this one. Uh, but I've enjoyed my time at East Tennessee. It's, it's a really, really cool, cool university. Um, I love my cohort. Um, it's, it's, I'm doing brand and media strategy, which is actually what I do uh, on a nine to five is 
branding, marketing, public relations, that sort of thing. So, so you're deciding to go into the 700 club, right? I mean, you had theology back there and you're doing media now. It reaches a screwy conclusion, but let me tell you, don't go to the University of Arizona for grad and postgraduate work because I'm a poor man today and I did. And I don't still have student debts, but on the other hand, I don't have anything to show for it other than being an excellent conversation piece. And I get to put that DR in front of my name like that That's, means anything. It, 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 it carries weight sometimes. Uh, yeah. But, and in but, fact, I, I went to the... So do dead bodies. I mean, <laughs> I'm just... Well, I'm well, that's not that kind I'm, of doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Scalpel. Nurse, <laughs> code. This one is—he's dead, Jim. Oh, <laughs> Lala finds me amusing, apparently. <laughs> Very. Uh, yeah, okay, well, so I, I when ahead. I do programs, they say, "Oh, he's just frivolous," and they don't know me. I'm deadly serious. <laughs> But I do have a sense of humor, and I have noticed the ones who in paranormal areas that go totally, you know, crackers, <laughs> have no sense of humor at all. Disclosure, any minute. Details in 11. Well, I've been a ufologist longer than anybody else on this panel has been alive, and I assure you, there ain't going to be no disclosure anytime soon because that's mm -hmm. assuming that the government knows something and uh, they don't. I would that's like fine. to hear about the Mothman documentary. Yes. What would you like to hear? <laughs> like the whole experience? Of oh, the, the experience? The experience so the impetus um, in between 98 and 2003, I was the managing partner of an advertising agency. We had an office in Morton, Virginia and Las Vegas, Nevada. When we were in Las Vegas, um, my business partner and I, who was also my best friend, uh, he passed away in 2019, but we would... Uh, we would go out and we would spend, you know, uh, a week, 10 days, sometimes two weeks. And I love Vegas. Don't get me wrong. I, I do. Um, I, I love everything about it. But two weeks is like maximum exposure for Las Vegas. I mean, it's like you, you, you can't do more midnight meals and shows and and meetings and things like that. So we would always drive around in the, in the desert and just go looking for, we, we found, you know, ghost towns and, and things like that. So we ended up driving to Rachel, Nevada, uh, our second trip out. And Rachel, of course, is, is home to Area 51. Uh, so, you know, been there, been chased off by the Jeeps, you know, the whole thing. Um, but there was 
<laughs> it was called the Area 51 Research Center, which makes it sound like this really, really you know prestigious thing. But it was basically um, a, a single wide trailer with a bunch of books and <laughs> and, and 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 some artifacts and things like that. We, uh, my business partner Charlie McCracken and I, we we picked up a book by Jerome Clark, and I was driving. Uh, back to Las Vegas and he was reading from the book and we came upon the story of Mothman. And of course we're from Southwestern Virginia. So if you, if you look at a map of, of Virginia, we're in the Southwestern portion of the state wedged between West Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. And he reads this story that took place in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And we kind of made this mental note to, to file that away. And we would come back to it at, at some point because we were always looking for, for side ventures and, and, and things to do creatively and things like that. Um, that was not, that was 99, 2000. Uh, the Mothman prophecies, the movie with Laura Linney and Richard Gere and that had, that had just come out. And so it was, you know, it was kind of this interesting, interesting topic. Um, fast forward to 2003 and we were actually working on a marketing film for a small uh, uh, college in, in Ashland, Kentucky. And we were there one day. And, and Charlie's thing was he used to love going into gas stations and getting maps. And, and this obviously, you know, before GPS became a big thing. So, you know, he would go in, he would get the maps. And we would try to find interesting places to go visit. Well, we went into this convenience store, he got a map, and we realized we're like 90 minutes from Point Pleasant, West Virginia. So it was like, I was married at the time, he was married, so we like called our wives, it's like, we'll be back tomorrow, we're going to Point Pleasant, West Virginia. <laughs> so we, we drove into the town, and it, it was really interesting because we went to the tourism office first, that was our first stop, and... I remember walking in and we were like, you know, we hear about the Mothman and the girl working the desk just started laughing at us. And she's like, we don't talk about that around here. She goes, if you want to talk about Mothman, she goes, there's some crazy people down on Main Street. You can go talk to them. Mm -hmm. Well, guess where we went? We went to the crazy people on Main Street <laughs> to hear their stories. And we just fell in love with, with the area, the people, um, the stories, the whole thing became this. Uh, it was about the, the sightings, obviously. People obviously saw something. We interviewed the original eyewitnesses, Linda Scarberry, uh, the Millettes, uh, several individuals uh, that that had seen the Mothman. But it, even more, it was this, this story, this little town that is, you know, about in, in 1966, it was about... 4,800, 5,000 people. It's about the same amount of people today, except the Mothman Festival. And then it increases to like 10 and 20,000 people because people come from all over the world. Wow. Um, but there was this, this story about this town, the bridge collapsed, the silver bridge, the, the number of lives that were lost. And this little town kept coming back. It kept, it, it, it kept fighting. It kept surviving. There was this this story of the tenacity of human nature that, you know, we, we can get knocked down, but we will get back up again. We will come back. And that was what happened in this little town and watching, 
you know, over 40, 50 years of, of what had gone on, the fact that the, when the bridge collapsed, it literally cut this town off from the world. Um, wow. the, the, the Silver Bridge, which, con, which connected Point Pleasant to Gallopolis, Ohio, was like a two-mile bridge. Mm. Once that bridge collapsed, to get to the other side, you had to drive 10 miles north, cross another bridge, and drive 10 miles south just to get to a town that you could see on the other side of the river. Mm. So it was a, you know, 20 mile one way, 40 mile round trip if you wanted to get across the river. Um, so it was you know, this story about the town coming back, the people coming back, the Mothman Festival started in 2001, right after 9-11. I mean, um, I think the first festival was two weeks after 9-11 in in 2001 wow. um and so just this this amazing story about how that not only was there this odd paranormal event but that this town where this happened kept coming back and coming back and we we worked on the documentary for six years uh we funded it out of pocket uh so we were going up, we were paying for our trips, we were, oh, uh, the number of shoots and recreations and finding people with 1957 Chevys that we could use for the recreation of certain shots. And so it, it was a very interesting, fun experience. Um, it was myself, uh, Charlie McCracken, uh, who... I had met when I was in college and we became business partners. And then my, my cousin, uh, Matthew Fleming, what, and it was the three of us. And we funded the entire venture ourselves. And uh, it was it, it was interesting. Um, I still, uh, to this day, love going back to Point Pleasant and talking to the people there and uh, and visiting with them. It, would, it was just uh, a lot of bad things happened in those six years, but a lot of really good things happened as well. Wow. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And and uh, Science Bob wants to know have you ever met John Keel? I did not meet John Keel, but I did interview him twice over the phone. Interesting. All I right, there John you go. Very well, yep. uh, John Keel was a very interesting interview. Hey, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Going back to before anybody ever heard of him, I mean, my friend Jim Bosley uh, would call me long distance back when that was an expensive proposition and yes. go on and on. I met this. This is like 1965. I met this guy. you got to meet him, Alan. Yeah. Uh, uh, he uh, contacted. No, no. He is a trip and a half. And, and he, he was. That term. And, uh, uh, well, you were mentioning Jerry Clark, who I also know. Um, Jerry once said, uh, back in the day, long before the Internet, we used to correspond using uh, audio tape. Uh, you know, we put our segment on and then send it to the next person. They put their segment on. Anyway, we were uh, having a discussion about Keel, and uh, I remember very well what Jerome Clark had to say, he said, if anybody in this field is one of them, it's Keel. 
skill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was a very strange he, duck. I he, think, however, that a lot of his coverage of the Mothman thing, which I have a lot of, well, I don't have a firsthand knowledge of Mothman, but I have a firsthand knowledge of the witnesses, uh, was my friend Gray Barker. Uh, oh, yeah. Playing, playing games with, uh, with Keel. Yes. The phone calls that, uh, first of all, Keel is nothing like, uh, what's his name, the, the actor. Uh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, shoot. The British actor that played him in, in the Mothman Prophecies, uh, or at least a version of him. Gear was, was Gear. kind of Keel, and then there was the other, the other character. Um, <laughs> Keel, well, it, it took Keel us... Keel never it, worked for the, for the Washington Post. No. He, never, he was more like Saga and Argosy and the men's magazines of the early 60s, yeah. like uh, I found the island of lost women, <laughs> and by <laughs> God, I'm staying. Well, and that was the thing, you know, Kiel, Kiel didn't go to West Virginia about Mothman. He was there investigating UFOs and, and, and other, other phenomena. Uh, but as far as interviewing him, he was a nightmare because we had to go through an intermediary and then Kiel would only call us. We couldn't call him. So we never had a number to call Kiel. He had to, he had to call us. And this was, you know, back before, caller ID and stuff like that, you know, it was, I mean, I mean we started, I guess we did the interview with Kiel in 2001, 2002, something like that. Mm. Wow. Well, I Not have, before he died. I, I have an insight into why he was doing that. He wasn't always that paranoid, but he was, uh, an arrogant SOB. I mean, he just had his own thing. You said and it, not me. I, I, I didn't say He's dead. U.S. law protects me, but uh, he was. I knew him quite well. He I did. do have a question really quick for Vinny. I wanted to know. Vinny! Let me <laughs> well, bring let him me, up. Yeah. Let me uh, let me uh, click a button him. here. <laughs> and uh, let's see here. And there I we go. Vinny. There we go. All right, Vinny. Welcome. I want to know Bunk really Master. quick. Yeah. I'll ask after you tell tell everybody about yourself. You go first. You I ask me. Know what made you mix? Is it two passions? Is it paranormal and wrestling? Or was it just did it start out was just for fun or what do you get? I mean, what do you mean? Well, you like wrestling. I actually don't. I uh I am a wrestler because I'm good at it, and they pay me a lot of money to go beat up little kids. But uh, I, uh, I'm a paranormal investigator. I'm an entertainer, is what I am. I was a stand-up com uh, comedian. I was a, a bass player for a funk and hip hop band for years. Uh, I became a professional wrestler. That led me into, weirdly enough, when I was running a television wrestling show with my partner, Big Luke Walker. We um, we got into paranormal television and uh, we did that. We still have a show that's on a lot of weird small stations uh, across the United States that uh, we do paranormal. And that led me into becoming uh, making movies about uh, the legends and lore of the Great Smoky Mountains, which is in East Tennessee. And we're uh, about to release our third uh, movie 
which are uh, B-level uh, uh, horror comedies about uh, some of the hijinks and cryptids and spirits and stuff of the Great Smoky Mountains in North Carolina and uh, East Tennessee. So I just like entertaining people, and I, uh, I'm pretty good at it, and I just get bored with the genre, and I move on to something else. So that's probably my biggest problem. But uh, I just like trying to do new things, you know? That's neat. That's, very that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Well, you know. I want to help. I want to watch the TV. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, Vinny, are you shooting in uh, the Great Smoky Mountains, or have you been shooting in the Great Smoky Mountains? Baby, I've been shooting so much in the Great Smoky Mountains. I'm surprised they haven't tried to arrest me. <laughs> uh, we've been uh, Gatlinburg, Morristown, yep. Knoxville, Asheville, Bryson City, Abington, and uh, Chattanooga, and Georgia, and Arkansas, and South Carolina, and North Carolina. In Virginia, uh, Bristol, and, and yeah. a whole bunch of other places. Yeah. So we. Um, okay. Yeah, the we, next time you're here, you're going to have to message me so we can get together. I live. We live. We're based. Our movie company is based in um, Gatlinburg. So. Um, okay. Yeah, my tag team partner, Big Luke, who's seven feet tall. He's a uh, my wow. co-writer and all this stuff, and he's a uh, he's a giant man, but he lives in Gatlinburg. I live in Morristown now, but I. We all moved from other places. We choose to live in East Tennessee because it's a wonderful place. I'm in but, I'm in Kingsport. There you go. That, that, so, that's my that's my undisclosed location. I'm I, in I, that's the whole reason I'm on the show. I was paid <laughs> to find out where you are. Hold on a there second. You there you go. Hey, write it down. Go up and get him. He's in Kingsport. We know it. But anyway, uh, so. Yeah, uh, you know, he's from Chicago. I'm from Baltimore. We choose to live down south. So uh, mm -hmm. so when we were wanting to make movies, we were like, you know, there's tons of crap about Baltimore, Chicago, New York, Texas, L.A. I said, there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of crazy legends and stuff in, in the south and the Appalachian south that needs to be uh, yep. perpetrated, you know, and uh, and needs to be pontificated and, and allocated and, and preached about. So that's what uh, we chose to do. I'm from Baltimore to Ohio. Get out. Yep. Get out. Well, that's awesome. I'm, uh, my cousin just got married up there and, uh, they had a big crab dinner Sunday and I missed it. So I'm a little pissy. My, my ex-wife was from Baltimore. I mean, it, so we have that connection. <laughs> my father was born and raised in Baltimore. Really? In a very, very sleazy neighborhood. What? That's <laughs> yeah. where I'm from. Which I'm is from a... still very sleazy. Yeah. Actually, uh, my grandfather's bar, uh, saloon, actually, was next door to a house of ill fame. Uh can you give me the can you give me the address for that particular location? It's not there anymore. <laughs> oh, We're talking okay, about but before prohibition. <laughs> my grandfather was, you know, mostly 19th century, but uh because uh, I uh but my dad was uh you know uh he and his brothers and sisters lived upstairs from the saloon because that was that was the fashion among uh, you mm -hmm. know uh families in uh poorer neighborhoods so i uh i had this uh how shall i put it sort of girlfriend uh, in baltimore and i decided to go 
uh, of visiting, and I would find, you know, some family stuff that I didn't know, because I grew up among my mother's family, not my father's. So I went down to this area looking for the location, the corner of Chester and Lowe, which actually don't meet, but that's that was the name of a song that uh, uh, U.B. Blake wrote about my grandfather's saloon. And uh, while I was in that neighborhood, I uh, saw that if it had been there on Low Street where it was supposed to be, it was now a parking lot, which is typical, you know. So mm -hmm. I flagged down a cab and I realized I needed some money to get back to where I was staying at the other end of Baltimore City. Still pretty sleazy, but nevertheless. Uh, and I said, could you stop at this ATM? And he said, the driver said, not in this neighborhood. No way. And I thought, well, it was it was a red light district back then, and it's a sleazeball district now. Welcome to my father's universe and why no, he didn't Baltimore talk much Street. about it. Yeah. Yeah, he wow. was a pro basketball player, by the way. So Vinny, have you ever seen Bigfoot? Have I ever seen Bigfoot? Um, I'm in a movie called Vinny's Fantastic Rock and Roll Adventures, where I actually run into Bigfoot in the movie, he goes by Barry, and he's a conspiracy theorist. It sounds like Alex Jones, and uh, and he found apparently on his website he's he's selling uh, uh, some sort of supplement that he uh, he uh, found a, like a comet landed next to him, and he he compounded some minerals. But in real life, uh, no, we were going to uh, on the rest uh, on the ghost show that we have wrestling with ghosts. We were going to. Uh, do an episode and it, it just never materialized. We did go and do kind of a Bigfoot type investigation of the uh, Cherokee legend of Spearfinger, um, which is um, which is a legend that is kind of um, uh, localized to the Asheville, Bryson City, towns in Tennessee, North Carolina uh, area. And we ran into some amazing evidence trying to just basically film an episode and have an excuse to go to the uh, casino out there. We actually saw a lot of stuff, but Bigfoot, no spear finger. Uh, I did run into, we did run into uh, some uh, spear finger evidence that is interesting. And then, then from that, we decided to make our first movie, uh, the hike about spear fingers. So interesting. Yeah. I have a dumb question. I don't know what a spear finger oh, is. Okay, thank you, because I was getting ready to ask the same it's thing, like and I'm from this area. What the hell is spear finger? Well, that's why we decided to make these movies. That You know, you hear about Mothman. You hear about mm -hmm. Bigfoot. You hear about all right. these, you know, you hear about uh, all these characters and stuff. And there's so many I there's so many things in, these, in this area that is uh, not talked about there's a uh, spear finger there's the boom there's there's uh there's uh rabbit man there's the secret of o the oak ridge supercomputer and, and stuff like that there's a there's a there's the little wow. people in the mountains yeah. and so spear finger is a cherokee legend and you can look her up and uh she is a rock golem she's made out of stone and uh she has a very long obsidian finger which is why they call her spear finger, but she's a mimic and she can sound like the girl you want to screw in the tribe or a little kid or your grandmother. And she will beckon you off 
the trail, and then she'll stick you in the liver with her obsidian finger and eat your liver, and then you've been spear-fingered. And the Cherokee killed her, according to the legend, many, many moons ago. And the reason we went out to do the investigation in the first place is in the Smoky Mountains for about two years. And if Luke, if you're in the chat or anybody from our group is in the chat, tell me if I'm wrong. But in about, oh my God, I got the Fembots here. They bring me, I got them programmed to bring me drinks about every hour. So sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you, Fembot. We're up here on the mothership here. So anyway, um, over about the course of two years, it was about 18 deaths in the Smoky Mountains attributed to falling trees, which is extremely high. That's an extremely high number. So um, we said, heck, let's just go out, go to the casino, and we'll sit there and we'll talk to the Cherokee people about Spearfinger. And uh, when we went out there, they were very guarded because uh, I guess I was wearing a mink coat and a hat similar to this, and they didn't want to talk to me. Um, but eventually we got some information on how to find Spearfinger, where's the best place to look, and uh, we ran into some some uh, something that was purporting to be her. Uh, 13 people died from falling trees and five from rock slides. So, yeah, it was something around those, those numbers there. So that's an exorbitant. And, and so Spearfinger can also sh shapeshift, but she also can control um, nature. She can throw rocks. She can um, she can knock down trees and stuff like that and kill people and then eat their liver that way. So um, yeah, we went out and uh, and and we uh, we we got some good evidence, man. I'll tell you, it was it was pretty amazing. So would 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 Spearfinger be an elemental then? I mean, is that a that's a good question? I mean, she is made out of stone. And uh, they couldn't kill her. The, the legend goes, and this is the funny thing. We went out to the reservation, and they were all guarded, even like the fast food workers at Arby's and stuff. They were like, why do you want to know this? And we're like, well, we want to exploit your culture. No, we were just like, we're just curious, and we want to you know, know, and we're doing an episode, and we heard about this, that, and the other. And, and after they kind of got our trust, and we ordered a number two off the menu, um. <laughs> yeah, we still weren't able to find out why a rock golem needed livers. But anyway, she, uh, the Cherokee couldn't kill her because she was made out of stone. She had stone skin, and they would try to kill her with the arrows, and it would bounce off her skin. And she had a weakness, which was her um, in her hand, and they finally pierced her hand. Or I guess she held her heart in her hand, and uh, they finally pierced it. And that was, you know, it was, it was like, you know, they, they, you know, it was part of their culture. It was part of, I don't know if anybody really believed that that was real, but it was part of their culture and, and, uh, and they were kind of guarded about it. And then, and then they started giving us inf good information about it. And, um, so what happened, I, I don't want to take over the podcast, but, uh, since Spearfinger's not talked about, we'll tell you what we did on our episode here. If you guys, it'll take a couple of minutes. Um, Yes, and she killed her husband, Rockman. This sounds like a bad comic book. Uh, but thank you, Luke. Uh, Spearfinger and Rockman. Rock sounds like it, something it does. Out of the 50s. Action <laughs> comics. So when we went, there's a there's a there's a city called Bryson City. It's very lovely and it's it's kind of gentrified and it's got sandwich shops and stuff that are really nice. And and so people from the northeast coast have went down there and, and bought houses and 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 
basically you can't live in Bryson City unless you're a millionaire. Um, but there's a road that shoots out of there called the Road to Nowhere. And it's literally 15 or 20 minutes of highway that has no houses, no gas stations, no industry at all, no strip mines. It's one of the oddest places on the eastern seaboard. And it goes to a place called the Tunnel of Nowhere, which then eventually goes out to a trail. Now, the Tunnel of Nowhere has probably more penises spray painted inside than anything I've ever seen per capita in the United States, probably holds the world's record. Another world record it holds is they say the Nolan Creek Trail is the most haunted trail in America. I don't know how they, I don't know if it's like college football and they play each other every week, but somehow it's rated number one. And, and lo and behold, Spearfinger, what you know, it lives, her, her, her path that she traverses is on the Nolan Creek Trail. And so they said, if you see orange lights, go Vols. If you see <laughs> orange lights, that is a warning that uh, Spearfinger is a boot uh, and that uh, the other spirits are trying to warn you. So we get down on this trail. It's two in the morning. Keep in mind, you can barely get radio signal up there. We're The closest town to us is a town called Proctor, which they flooded out years ago. There was a movie theater, a dentist office, a logging community, some, and then they flooded it out. That's the closest city we're at. You can't even drive to it. You got to walk to it. And there's still like rusted out cars and stuff there in the mountains. And so that's the closest town we're at. Two in the morning, there's not a soul out there. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> we see three orange lights doing this guy, ah. gobbledygook. We capture one on camera, and that's on our show. And we were sitting there like, okay, that's weird. So we start going down the Nolan Creek, the most haunted trail in North Carolina. Ooh. And to the right is a stream. Now, I know a lot of paranormal people talk all the time about how water sounds like human voice and also that water generates energy. Energy, right. Mm -hmm. and, but it's, it's funny. Water sounds like human voice, so you can kind of conflate the two. Is that a lapping water, or is that somebody trying to say my name, or order a sandwich off the menu or something? But when we were walking down to the right, all we heard, screaming, yelling, ladies screaming, men screaming, people talking, threatening tones. Can't make anything out, because it's too noisy. But it was like, blah, 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 blah. It was nuts. We're sitting like, what is happening over here? It sounds like a, 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 a gibberish convention or something. So we're walking. Well, if you remember, folks, I told you, Spearfinger is a mimic. So in front, Luke Walker, who's in the chat for some reason. I guess he's off work tonight. He, he's a musician. He plays in Gatlinburg all the time. And um, yeah, I'm getting to that. Shut up, Luke. Don't shoot my shot for me. Um, so... Anyway, yeah, lots of gemstones. Luke's also an amateur gemologist, which means nobody's ever touched his winky. No, I don't know. He's, he's a good-looking guy. He's a musician. I guess he balances out. But anyway, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, I saw that. There's something else going on here. Anyway, so there's a lot of gobbledygook. Spearfinger's a mimic. Luke is in front. He's seven feet tall. And he's got this big gravelly voice that makes all the women go, woo. And behind me, we got a group of people, our whole team, El Gordo Gringo, who's a wrestler, and Candy, and my daughter. 
and myself and Luke's in front, and I hear behind us, and it's recorded on tape. You hear this, hey guys, and it's Luke's sexy voice, and who's 15 feet in front of me is behind me. We all turn around on camera. Chocolate bleu. There's nothing there, obviously. We're like, that sounded just like Luke. We stopped the tape. It's freaking, it's a disembodied voice. We go back, boop, boop, boop. There you guys. Right behind us. And if you've ever done investigations and you're listening to recordings and you do it a lot, you can understand, you can hear your friends, right? The people that you go out with, you can hear, you can identify if one of your lady friends, if she's breathing, you can say, okay, that's Candy's no nose, that's El Gordo Gringo's asthma, that's Luke's knees popping because he's an old wrestler like me, that's somebody passing gas. I can actually tell who that is by the sound of the fart because I've been with him so long. You can hear everything. So when it sounded just like Luke's voice, and it's in the same frequency. Freaky. Sometimes when you hear EVPs and disembodied voices, it almost, if there's like a three-dimensional thing with the stereo, you can hear it like everybody else is kind of like on this wavelength, like right here, and then the EVP is up here, and it almost sounds like it's coming from outer space or something. So we freaked out a little bit, and then about two minutes later, a rock, we're getting to your shot here, Luke, and maybe you can tell me what this was. A rock flies out of the woods, and this is on camera too. It came this close to hitting my daughter in the head, and it hit the tree. Smack, like freaking Nolan Ryan pitched it. It was it was a humdinger. And like I told you before, Spearfinger can manipulate rocks and trees, and the thing falls down, and Luke goes over and picks it up. Now, Luke is an amateur gemologist, which means he's never touched a booby. And um, he picks it up. Um, yes, I'm wearing brass knuckles. Um, it's in the chat. So, uh, hey, I'm from Baltimore. You never know what's coming through the windows over here. So anyway, um, he picks it up and he says, this rock does not belong here. This is not something that's indigenous to this area. And you can look for a day and not see this type of rock. Now, I can't. Luke, are you still alive? Or did you, is someone finally actually trying to? have make out with you or something you can put whatever that rock was if you remember it in the chat and I'll, I'll point it out so we keep going and we as we keep going all the noise is going down to the right gobbledygook blah 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 screams terrible tones we get down to a point where to keep going down nolan creek trail you got to cross over a beaver dam it was shell which should have not been on the west side of the mountains you could tell Luke went to public high school in Chicago. Thank you, Luke, for your, 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 thank you. So we get down to the river and it's a beaver dam. And we're all klutzy old pro wrestlers. And I didn't want to carry anybody's fat ass out of that trail. So we we're like, let's not cross the beaver dam at two in the morning or three in the morning. And it was a little cold out. So as we turn around, I still, I don't know an entomologist. I wish Luke was an amateur entomologist. My daughter's legs, all of these monarch butterflies came and landed on my daughter's legs. Now, somebody in the chat may know what this is because I don't know. We are, para, we are paranormal jobbers. We do this stuff, and it's fun to watch our show because we don't know what the hell we're doing. But I know monarch butterflies are not nocturnal. 
there's a word for that, but I went to public high school in Baltimore, so I don't know what that word is. But not nocturnal is, I don't know, it's something with a D or something. I know monarch butterflies aren't partying around, uh, you know, three in the morning or whatever. Uh, and they were all landed on my daughter's legs. Now, here's the caveat to all this. As we turned around and left, because we're too chicken to go across the beaver dam, that water we heard now on our left side over here, not one peep. We didn't hear a scream. We didn't hear a, a boo. We didn't hear, I hate your guts. We didn't hear, you got a nice butt. We didn't hear nothing all the way out. So we went all the way out peaceful. And you could tell, and you guys know this, all you knuckleheads that believe in the paranormal job like I do, the the tension had lifted, right? You guys have all experienced that, right? Where it feels like the ghost just said, screw this, or they passed the test, or it's past my bedtime, or whatever it is. And it just felt like we were a bunch of friends on a nice little night hike. There was no more, who and who my neck, and there was no more gobbledygook. So that was so significant, that little trail, that we decided to, man, we should make a movie about Spearfinger. Right? And we decided to do that when coronavirus hit and all the production uh, uh, houses shut down. And uh, so we had fun doing that, too. We had a great time uh, shooting some of that stuff. But that's Spearfinger, and that's our experience with her. And uh, anyway. That's uh, that's that's a cryptid that we actually I don't know if we saw her or not or if that was her or whatever, but something was was hot on that trail that night. Sound like I Bigfoot agree. poltergeist of some sort. Right. Yeah, Bigfoot is know, what it sound like. If you really take a look at the uh, I mean there are ghosts and UFOs and little people and all kinds of cryptids and phenomena everywhere, but there are hot areas, and Appalachia is uh, wherever you go, West Virginia and, uh, and Kentucky especially, that is over the Mammoth Cave, which is pretty much runs the whole length there, you find all kinds of phenomena, sometimes multiple phenomena in one location, which has uh, long since led me to believe that all of these various phenomena, plural, are uh, essentially manifestations of the same phenomenon. That mm -hmm. is uh, something related to the, uh, to the cavern structure or whatever uh, seems to emerge from that. Maybe I, I use the term portals, which I borrow from uh, from uh, physics. But uh, I, I can't know. All I can tell you is the phenomena is localized. And if you ha are a fan of ley lines, it mm -hmm. follows the ley lines. The, uh, the location that Vinny mentioned uh, that... That trail is right on a ley line. So uh, actually where two ley lines cross. So if you, uh, you know, keep track of these things, pun intended, uh, you would sort of, even if you didn't know, you would predict that that sort of thing uh, would be going on there. I mean, uh, uh, I'm very 
uh, happy with my friends, the Newkirks and their associates, uh, Hellier series, because it shows not the only and not the definitive uh, manifestation, but the atmosphere that you get anytime you do field research in that area. And mm -hmm. I think Travis would, will bear me out on this. It's just saturated with cases. If you go out and you don't act like uh, some, pardon my French, asshole from New York wanting to get an interview, you will find if, I mean, uh, uh, it, I, I was, uh, I'm a native Georgian, so I, I kind of know the, uh, you know, the, 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 the courtesy that you get out in the country. And if you don't do that, you get a lot of doors slammed in your face and conceivably a visit from the local constable to find out how you have to leave the area. <laughs> but, uh, uh, if you, if you handle it with a, a modest amount of decorum, you get some absolutely fantastic stories. Um, I, I could mention this about my friend, Gray Barker, uh, may he rest in peace. He certainly didn't live a life in peace. He had the relatively unique circumstance that he was living right in the middle of West Virginia at a time, he's from uh, Clarksburg, uh, well, actually, he was born in Rifle, Virginia, but um, spent most of his life in West Virginia and was there for the Flatwoods Monster mm. case. He was first on the scene and was there for the whole Mothman cycle, which he wrote a book about called The Silver Bridge, which I was asked to do the introduction to, which I did back in the day. And then I hate my introduction to it because I was a kid when I wrote it. So I wrote a new one and the current edition has my new one saying, wait, ignore that other introduction from that stupid kid Greenfield. Read this one because uh, Greg takes a lot of flack, but uh, he really was on the scene. Also, one other thing about that, um, uh, and uh, Travis might be interested in this, um, Gray recorded an interview with uh, the Scarberries and Malats, if you, mm -hmm. uh, like three days after the TNT area episode and before the bridge collapse, I believe. And uh, he sent me a copy of that, and... Uh, I don't know. It was originally on cassette, and then I transferred it to this. Anyway, I uploaded it to my YouTube uh, page, which is okay. not where I spend a lot of time. So it's there free for nothing, and y'all is welcome to it because it's like on the scene. And also, it, it helps me a little bit for people who say, Gray was just a clown. No, uh, Gray was a person with many sides, and that was his serious ufologist side and uh, otherwise he wouldn't have gotten the interview. I mean, they were, you know, the, the witnesses were already taking flack. And uh, so, yeah. And I was going to say that was one of the things that we discovered even 40 years later is that these eyewitnesses for the Mothman sightings, they weren't seeking attention. They didn't want to do the, the these types of things. They had spent an entire lifetime being ridiculed for what they saw and what they said they saw. Well, keep this in mind. They were out in what is locally known as a makeout area, the TNT area. And Gray always thought 
that there was, and I agree with this, that there is a sexual component to calling in some really creepy yeah. creatures. And uh, I think that that is the case. That's what that area was. And I'm not sure that they were totally candid about what they were doing out there, but it was definitely nobody drove into that area that was not out there to uh, deck or pet or even something more interesting, you know. So there you have it. Uh, The inside dope on the TNT area. There's no TNT there anymore, but it can be very explosive. Uh, in 2009, one of the igloos exploded. Well, yeah, most of them are empty. So, but I most I are, and I and I have been in. I and I've been in some of the empty ones, and some of them are still sealed. But yeah, and because uh, 2009, no, I'm sorry, 2010, 2009, we were there. I wasn't there in 2010, but it made it made national news that one of the igloos actually had exploded. I wonder if that is something that was left over from World War II or whether somebody went in there, good old boy, with a couple of sticks of dynamite, a former miner, and decided to make headlines. You know, I mean, yeah, it's possible. It's it's quite possible. I mean, there's not a lot to do. It's probable, not just possible. Yeah, there's there's not a lot to do in little towns in West Virginia right uh, now, is which is one of the problems there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole mining industry has gone to hell, and it's uh, there are a lot of very angry folks in Appalachia, and anger and sex and cryptids all go together. Make sounds like my honeymoon. Now, will you, you just you just you just kind of described a movie I want to make. Anger, sex, and cryptids. I think that's well. I'll like- be glad to help you out with that, and you don't even have to give me a credit because uh, my eldest son is in the movie business. I'm not. Also, he moonlights in the wrestling world, not as a wrestler, uh, but as a uh, director and what they're not supposed to be. Writer, don't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Travis just got eaten by the Mothman. I'm so sorry. Travis, come back. I think he failed. Bob said he asked a question a couple times. Travis, are you okay? (laughs) Give me a second. Give me a backstage of soul. Yes, I'm back. Sorry. My my laptop was dying. I'm sorry. I did not get eaten by Mothman. Sound like he just fell on the floor. I just wanted to make sure you're real. They just substituted the uh, homunculus. (laughs) I'll test him. Where were you in 1994? Aha! He doesn't know because he's the substitute. I'm kidding, folks. (laughs) I kid sometimes. I see. I just, need to, I just need to put my fanboy self-described is here. What was Bob's questions, Lala? I told him to text. He's he's telling me now what it is. I must have missed it somewhere. They had me in stitches a minute ago. I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry. So he he loves Alan. He's like oh, uh, in a platonic sort of way. When somebody yeah, describes yeah. himself as my fanboy, I generally think of my female friends. 
But, you know, whatever. Sells ask, books. Ask Alan to tell us about Hellier and Secret Cipher of UFO Knots. Okay. You just asked that's, Alan to tell you about. The that's what Bob Cipher. wants to know. <laughs> um, Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts was the first book uh, that was, well, not the first book that I wrote, the first book that got published by a real publisher. And uh, it, it dealt with some things that are out of the occult world that I realized were applicable to the UFO world. And I had always, going back to the 1960s, really, really, uh, what would be the right word, was bemused by the strange names that contactees and even abductees would give to supposed planets that the supposed aliens came from and or the personal names that they gave. Uh, a favorite example from the what we'll call the Mothman Cycle. That would be a good name for a movie. Would be uh, Indrid Cold from the uh, yes. Woodrow Derenberger case. And uh, uh, there is a code that was in uh, supposedly transmitted by Iwas, a Praetor human uh, being that Alistair Crowley received his holy book, the Liberal Vel Legis, the Book of the Law, from. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't, a lot of it is very Crowley esque, but nevertheless, there is a cipher in it. And Crowley was never able to crack it. Uh, uh, it has been erroneously said that Frater Akkad, his magical child, that they, his alienated child, we all have one of those. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, was able to crack the first three letters, but it was a guy named Jim Lees uh, in England in the 1970s that cracked the code and was able to get all sorts of information on occult matters that, uh, that had uh, words and descriptions that seemed to be amenable to basically Kabbalistic uh, analysis, only using the English language, which... Is quite different because Kabbalah originally is a Hebrew thing, and Hebrew has 22 letters, English has 26, last mm -hmm. I saw. And uh, so you, you have adjustments to make. And I was shown this by a, a fellow occultist who said, look, this is an occult thing. And I said, oh, well, that's nice, because other people were working on that. And I thought, what about Orthon? What about the planet Arianus? What about all these really funny names that you get in uh, trans-channeling lore, in contactee lore, and even sometimes in abductee lore? And I applied this cipher to some of those, and I went, whoa, there's a book in this. And I went to Illuminate Press, and I said, well, you turned me down on my autobiography saying, you're not famous. How about this? It's about decoding the actual mystery if you have just a single clue, like a name or a place name or whatever. And they published it. And the rest is history.
you can get a combined edition of Secret Cipher the Euphonauts and Secret Rituals of the Men in Black, or you can get them individually. But it has uh, my current publisher, not the same one, uh, uh, brought out the complete Secret Cipher the Euphonauts, which since my new book is out, is no longer complete, but um, I'm working on that. But you can get two, two for the price of one, sort of. So go to, you know, Barnes and Noble or Amazon or whoever the hell has it and buy it new. I don't, some of these books, when they go out of print, uh, reach insane prices on the used book market. And that happens with other authors too. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's really something that is kind of despicable, you know, but, uh, all of my books but one are in print, so you can get reasonably priced editions, even maybe a Kindle edition of the new one. Yeah. Okay. All right, Travis, Brian Barber's got a question. Did anyone try to interfere with you making your movie? Some people don't like the secrets exposed. Uh, we didn't have what I would say interference. There were a lot of things that happened over six years is a long time to work in a documentary. I mean, so there were a lot of things that happened over those six years. Um, I had some issues that, that arose. Charlie was in the hospital for a while. He was, um, basically he was diagnosed with, malaria without being diagnosed with malaria. He had all the same symptoms uh, of malaria. Um, We actually made it onto there. At one point, there was a website, the Mothman, Curse of Mothman or Mothman Curse. I can't remember. Uh, All of us ended up on it because we had a bunch of things that happened to us uh, that kind of put us uh, on on that uh, in that that timeline. as far as anyone trying to stop the movie, no, no one, no one actually interfered or tried to stop. And I, and I do apologize, guys. I have to jump off of here, and I do apologize. I've got another. Sure. Uh, I've, got, I've got a ten thirty Zoom, and I also have a paper that's due at midnight. And my professor is not a Mothman fan, and I don't <laughs> think that being on the show is going to win me any favors. So thank you. Um, it's been a no, pleasure. I would lo- thank you, Travis. I would love I would love to come back. Uh this has been great. You you guys are awesome. Lala, thank you very much thank uh you. for for the invitation. And I do apologize and I have to bow out, but I've got a couple of things that I really have to do tonight. So I, I apologize. But uh no, I, I tell you, the honor's been ours. Send you my email address because uh if you're really still interested in the whole Mothman cycle. You know, I'm one of the last of the first hand. I I am very interested. So please, yes, uh, get in touch with me, send me your contact info and we'll, we'll stay in touch because I'm, we going back to Lala's question, the documentary, um, there were some issues around 2013, 2014. Uh, The movie came out of circulation. I'm in the process of trying to get it back into circulation and there's also uh, a sequel that I want to do. So, oh, awesome! Nice. That's great. Yeah. So, mm. Well, thank, thank you, Travis. You I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, you guys. Have a good evening. You guys too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. A nice question. gentleman. That 
you will never be able to forget paranormal or otherworldly or anything like that something freaky not that way i have been an investigator and documenter of all kinds of uh borderland phenomena for more years than I care to mention. But I have only had a couple of rather minor experiences of my own. And they don't even, I've tried to describe them because everybody wants to hear your experiences. I didn't start out as an experiencer. Mm -hmm. I started out as a seeker, an inquirer. And most of the experiences that I've had uh, involve magical rituals, which open portals and things of that sort, which are uh, difficult to describe. They're difficult to do, but they're far more difficult to describe because they're very subjective. But I'll tell you one from from my youth, and I guess I was about, 15 when this happened and um, I have to uh, give you a little bit of the architecture of my parents house which is about two blocks from where I'm sitting right now but on the room that I was in watching television into the wee hours was a den and on one side of the den was the kitchen and Off of that was a laundry room where my dog slept. On the other side uh, were the upper floor and the lower floor where uh, my folks slept. It was late enough that I think they they were all Betty by. But I stayed up to watch a program, which in those days, there weren't 452 ghost hunter programs Mm -hmm. on television. This was a rarity, and it was called the stately ghosts of England. And I'm sitting and watching that. About 20 minutes into it, I hear from the kitchen area. (laughs) Well, I was, what, 15? I panicked completely. Uh, my heart raced. I ran. I must have gone through every prayer and uh, ceremony that I knew at that time more limited than it would be later than that. Left the room, started to run to my daddy, and finally got my courage together because I really wanted to see this show. This is pre-videotape. You know, there was uh, actually that program is available. It did have some interesting aspects and some stupid ones. But I went back after about 10 minutes, sat down, but my heart's still pumping. I'm pumping adrenaline. Okay. So I am wide awake, alert, but watching the program again and again, a second time. (laughs) Uh, I didn't panic as much. I went and took a look. I wanted to see if my dog was dying or something. Nope, he was asleep. And uh, before that, never anything of that sort. After that, never anything of that sort. Never anything that I can think of that happened in the many years that I uh, 
that's where I grew up in the house that I lived in. So I guess that was a paranormal experience. I mean, at one time I questioned it. Maybe I, you know, uh, hallucinated it. But twice when I'm pumping adrenaline, that seems very unlikely. There was a ghost in my kitchen. (laughs) How about you, Benny? Uh, what was the question? What's uh, an experience you had, paranormal or alien or otherworldly, that you will never forget? He's had the rock monster throwing rocks at him. What do you want? Another one. God, man, I've got so many, it's hard to pick. I mean... Or just odd. Well, it's bad for radio for me to sit there and go, huh. I, you know, man... So we do this, we do the paranormal show called Wrestling with Ghosts, and we use a lot of humor in it because we feel like, um, we feel like a lot of the ghost shows on television are way too serious, and and if you go into a place that is haunted or there's energy or whatever, if you go in going, how did you die? What happened? I mean, if if the spirits are real and the ghosts are real, they don't they don't want to. They don't, I mean, can you imagine being two in the morning and a bunch of freaking white people come in and are sitting there going, what happened? Did you die? I mean, you'd be like, good grief. I'm trying to sleep. So what we try to do is we bring in a lot of humor. We have a mantra that says we we joke with the guys, we flirt with the girls, and we tease the kids. And because we're not, I, I'm not scared of ghosts. I don't get creeped out. I don't get the, the, the hair on my neck. Now, if I climb a step ladder to try to clean out my gutter, I feel like I'm about to have a panic attack. I, I can't handle heights, but when it comes to ghosts and demons, stuff like that, they don't bother me. So we kind of do things a little bit more, you know, we, we take it a little bit further and there's two episodes of our show in the first season wrestling with ghosts. And I, I think if, if we're going to answer this, the, the, um, uh, to answer you what I've seen that I, that I'll never forget. Um, there was an episode, there's a town called, this is another reason why I like going to places and talking about things nobody really talks about. There is a town in Tennessee called La Follette, Tennessee. And Mr. Uh, Greenfield may know, I think I've heard this before, that it's on ley lines up there. I don't know anything about ley lines. Uh, there was a girl that I knew whose name was similar from Hawaii, and she could do a lot of crazy things with her legs. But uh Ley lines, from what we're talking about, um, uh, La Follette is on top of these things. And it's the most haunted city that I've ever experienced. In fact, there's several locations there with crazy stories. And, and to make this a little bit, you know, to, to become an ally of brevity, there was a ta- there was a, a building up there called the Old La Follette Post Office. And it was a saloon that didn't, it was like a man's only saloon. And uh, this was, uh, you know, because for some, I don't know why you'd want to go drink without women, but that's what their prerogative was back in the day. Um, and it, and then it became this post office with a very strange uh, layout. Like the, the inspector, the postal inspector could come in on the bottom floor and climb up ladders and look down at the people fooling with the mail because back then they would mail jewelry and, and cash. There was no credit cards and stuff like that. There were no checks. So back in this era, era, people would mail each other gold and stuff. So 
they were trying to make sure the postal inspectors had these slits back in the rooms where the, the, the postal inspectors are supposed to kind of creep down all matte black. So you couldn't go up there and see, oh, well, the, the postal inspectors here are going to be good. You have no idea when they're going to be there. So this is kind of this paranoid vibe uh, in this place. And they did not like women. And we had, for some reason, we had a live Facebook stream and we were doing something where like, if you came and investigated with the cast of wrestling with ghosts, you got some sort of, I don't know, we, we gave uh, a free dog child to homeless dogs or something. I can't remember what the charity was. So we had about 20 people in this thing that just showed up uh, just trying to do something fun with a bunch of knuckleheads. Well, within 35 minutes, everybody had left because it was so freaking creepy in there. There was so much going on. And like there was, everybody was like, I'm the freaking frick out here. Goodbye. And they would like leave. And so it was the crew that was left. And there was all sorts of stuff. EVPs banging on the walls, um, the thrown pop bottles at people, and and things with sensey humors. Like so one guy would go down the steps, and all this stuff would fall on top of him. Doors would slam. Uh, there was mockery. In fact, one time it, it kept following the women. Like it, it would throw stuff at women. It would slam doors behind women. All this stuff was captured on camera for the most part. Uh, we saw a, a, a disembodied, um, a, we, we saw, uh, you know how there's like a fault, you know how you kind of can reconstruct like a like a floor and maybe back in the day the floor was higher. We saw, we were kind of in a period like that where there was like a lowered basement or something. And we saw, uh, and we captured on the camera, legs walking about three feet wow. above the ground, mm. uh, lockers slamming. Uh, you would you would ask it to do things. And so what I did is I said, you need to leave the women alone. Leave the women alone. And if you're going to pick on somebody, pick on somebody your own side, size. Pick on Luke. And Luke is my tag team partner who's seven feet tall. Mm -hmm. So it quit messing with the women. And it started messing with Luke. And we have uh -huh. on camera, on recording on this Wrestling with Ghost show, it's the old Fallout Post Office episode, it's there was a hideous disembodied voice that said Luke four times in different times. It would just sit there and go, Luke. Oh god. And the last time it broke him. I never saw this guy was a cop. He's a he was a security guard, tough man contest guy, pro wrestler, big dude. Uh, and he got cracked, man. He the the last time it was just like Luke. Luke, the, the, the last time I actually, my last shift in the place was done because we had kind of, we were filming on a thing and we all had little segments we were doing. I went to the all night uh, diner down the street, didn't tell anybody. And I was eating in my car and they were like, is that Vinny? Is Vinny frick, hey, funk master? Are you, are you in the wall screaming Luke? And I'm like, I'm like, I see, I'm watching this on Facebook live and I'm like, I'm in my car eating a cheeseburger. And, wow. uh, and so, uh, and so, um, he got cracked and he, and he, and he left and, uh, and, uh, he was cracked once before and I'll tell you, and he ran and, and a guy who's 350 pounds, seven feet tall 
running at you like a fullback in the game of football. I mean, that uh, he was uh, it was pretty intimidating. But I mean, that place, and we have a lot of stories of that town. Nobody talks about La Follette. There's a guy named Alan Miller who does a ghost walk uh, mm-hmm. all the time down in La Follette, and he'll take you around. There will be stuff happen on the ghost walk, and I've seen it myself. That place is rife with activity. And if we were any more, if we had any more renown, uh, that that would be people. Ghost hunters would be all over La Follette all the time. Uh, there's there's so many stories. It's unbelievable. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm gonna wow. look up that up because I didn't even know about that place. Yeah, I know. We've been that. trying to preach so about I'm- it for five years. Nobody knows about it. Three ley lines cross there. There you go. And what I think goes on is when ley lines cross, well, two things happen. One, ordinary people, if you want to call them that, build sacred space, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, a church or uh, a in earlier times, maybe a shrine of some sort or uh, something that it seems like a sacred spot. Uh, the other thing that happens is, quote, spontaneous. And I think it's portals to Magonia, otherwhere, call it whatever you want, fairyland, call it whatever mm-hmm. you want. And pardon my French again, weird shit happens. And mm. I think that's what you're finding there. Uh, there are a lot of those. It's In a way, you can find the places by looking at the ley lines and then look at a, a regular map. And you will find that where the ley lines cross, especially multiple lines, they're all straight lines, more or less, uh, following the curvature of the earth. Um, where can I ask cross. you a question, Mr. Greenfield or Dr. Greenfield? I'll you be, can ask me. I'll be right back. You guys keep going. Okay. okay. Sorry. Yes, sir. You can ask me anything you want. Have you ever heard of something called the So Joanna book? No, I have not. Not that I can think of offhand. Well, this is another reason why I think this the Appalachian thing is so interesting. Is so we're making these movies about the legends and lore of the area. And we're about to release our third one called Camp Smokey. And there's another one called The Hike. And there's another one called WJHCAM, which is about a radio station. And we get contacted by this guy. And I think you would be into this. And I, I was curious. if I was hoping you would know something about it. But there's an old book called the So, S-O, Joanna, only one N, I think, book. And it's an old travel guide from the 50s. And inside are a bunch of locations like coordinates and cryptid words. And so far, we have six movies planned out. And we've, we've been talking about them. This guy who uh, contacted me said, what are you guys up to? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, there is a book called the So Joanna Book. And every movie that you guys have uh, talked about it done is referenced in this book that was scribbled in in the 50s. And uh, I was like, I don't, and they were, he was like, are you guys up to this? Are you guys the ones that are like all sorts of code? It mentions Spearfinger. It mentions the locations where we shot the movie. It mentions radio towers. 
and and we have a movie about Radio Tower, and it's actually some of the coordinates are where the, the story was based. We have a movie about Oak Ridge. It's mentioned with the code word Wormwood. And so I'm curious if you look this up, sir, and, and maybe uh, investigate on your own, if these coordinates are ley lines themselves, because I don't know anything about ley lines, but uh, I think it's interesting to see if um, in this old book where we just keep having to have this coincidence where we're writing these stories where these coordinates are taking place, um, if the ley lines are, are, are where this guy, because nobody knows who wrote this book or who, it is like a travel book that was published, but nobody knows who scribbled in it. Um, and and uh, there's a whole bunch, like if you go online and look up So Joanna book, there's like a wiki of people who think they're trying to figure out what was meant, what he saw, because uh, it does it does mention several cryptids and 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 other kind of paranormal type things in the book itself too. Mm. That's interesting. Well, uh, if you have, does it have coordinates in it? Yeah, like handwritten. Like um, I don't know them myself, but like you know, like latitude and longitude. Latitude and longitude. That's right. Yeah, there are several sites that you can. Uh, go to on the internet if you put in a latitude and longitude it will show you ley lines uh, at or very near to those uh, coordinates if you have coordinates you're halfway there already uh, but I mean I, I have not read that book uh, I, I doubt that I would have had occasion to uh, and I certainly would have remembered the title because that's a really unusual. Yeah. So, Joanna, you want to see some weird stuff? <laughs> Let's go. But uh, I had a, a, a similar experience with uh, a, a textbook, a high school level textbook. Uh, when uh, I, I don't know, I bought a copy of it, which is probably the only textbook that I've ever bought. But because. Uh, uh, it was called This Is Your Georgia. And in talking about history of the state of Georgia, and blah, 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 it also has a bunch of uh, anomalous phenomena that exist, uh, some of it within walking distance of where I sit right now, and some of it, you know, in other parts of the state. But these are all places that I eventually got around to investigating uh, either firsthand or sending somebody to look at into firsthand. So uh, there are uh, a number of books that go into the lore, but no, there's no, uh, no side uh, comments. I assume you mean that they were written in to this particular copy? Yeah, they were, they were scribbled in by some same penmanship throughout the whole book. And oh, God, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like the Vero edition of M.K. Jessup, one of the ufologists who died under mysterious circumstances, the case for the UFO. Uh, actually, Gray Barker uh, republished that, uh, a facsimile edition, but it was originally just somebody's copy of the case for the UFO, where there were annotations in three different handwritings uh, that were... Uh, revelations of the whole Philadelphia experiment 
uh, story. And the kicker of that is uh, the Vero edition was a limited publication within the U.S. Navy. They seemed inordinately interested in this edition of the case for the UFO, not for the text of the book necessarily, but for the commentary written by these uh, three gypsies. And that that seems to be so, the sort of thing that you're talking about. I'd love to compare the handwriting, and uh, but I imagine whoever has the original there, uh, that has become a very pricey item. And I am not a pricey person. I'm a poor man, so, as most writers are, even with PhDs. I wonder if I'm by ley lines, because we got on video of a portal opening up in our backyard the skies and the lights it swept around it and shot out of it and we have so much activity here different right. types of creatures and spirits and it's it's mo the most i've ever experienced in my life really mm. well, you still you know, it, it's it should be easy to yeah. find the latitude and longitude and then uh, find one of these sites, just, you know, Google ley lines, and you get a lot of talk about them if you want, you know, some educational stuff. But you have these sites that do basically AI uh, okay. uh, interpretation, and you can find whether you're – I, I will say this. It is not impossible by any means for – uh, phenomena to appear that are off the ley line grid, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other reasons, but I think it's a reliable place if you're looking for an explanation for phenomena. That is a, you know, a first try uh, uh, because it's often the case that where a place is rich in ley lines, it's also rich in phenomena of all sorts, you know, from yeah. Bigfoot to to flying saucers. Yeah, we get stuff every single night. It's for the past year we've been living here. And I'm, I'm in Hartford County now. Okay. But uh, it it's never a dull moment. I mean, they're either in the house or outside. I mean, I love it. But <laughs> well, if, anybody wants to, if anybody wants to look up the So Joanna book, because I find it fascinating, um, and I kind of think, think it's weird that it's correlating with these movies we're just – pulling out of our rear ends, basically. I put the link to the wiki in the comments there if you guys want to look at it. I mean, if you guys awesome. are into, you know, creepy mysteries and stuff like that, it's it's really uh, it's really interesting, I think, in trying to figure out what the guy was trying to document or say with, with these notes. It's basically he was making notes in a book. Thank you. That's interesting. Yeah. Thank you guys very much for coming on. This was so nice. Yes. You guys can come on whenever you want. Oh, so. Absolutely. It's been great. Well, thank as, you. It's really great. As the hooker on the street corner says, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> not in Baltimore. That's, That's not what they say in Baltimore. Well, no, I'm not available in Baltimore. <laughs> they're they're oh. very much more aggressive in Baltimore. Yeah, things. very. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I'm greatly appreciate it, guys. My girlfriend at the time says, "Oh, we live in a safe neighborhood." 
And when I get there with my kids, she says, don't go over to the next block. There's a gang war going on there. Yeah, that's how it is. Yep. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Not my experience. And I Well, thank you all again. I greatly appreciate it. And and it's been very pleasurable to meet you all. And from coast to coast and around the world, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap. And Godspeed. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.